Welcome everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we'll discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. Today's topic is autism and how parishes can better serve families with family members on the autism spectrum. Today, we have several guests. Will you please introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Letty Hall, and I am a speech pathologist in the Dayton area. I own a pediatric therapy clinic, and we have a wide variety of children that we treat with varying diagnoses to include children with autism. And thanks, Bob, for inviting me to speak today on autism. My name is Tammy Stauber. I live in Butler County, and I happen to have a wonderful son who is 20 years old and he has the diagnosis of autism. My name is Nicholas Hardesty. And I'm Amy Hardesty. We have three children. Two of them are autistic. Dominic is eight years old, and Thomas is three and a half. I'm Carolyn, and I have a son that's 15 with autism spectrum disorder. Okay, Letty, let's start with you. Can you share with us what does autism look like? Autism is a wide disorder. It's a very wide spectrum disorder, and it's called spectrum disorder for a very good reason. It has a wide variety of behaviors, a wide variety of severity, and it can present itself in such drastically different ways. Right now, the Centers for Disease Control are saying that one in 59 people will be affected with autism to some varying degree. And I think the most obvious ones are the ones that are most severe. And so I'm going to give you a little description of what a a person with severe autism would look like. And here's the tricky part is that when we say look like, it's an invisible disorder. And what I mean by that is that if someone is in a wheelchair and we know that they're unable to walk. And so, you know, we can see that that's very visible to us. If someone is blind and is using a walking stick, that's very visible to us. Unfortunately, autism is an invisible disorder. They look just like you or I, very typical looking. There aren't any facial characteristics. There aren't any physical characteristics that would have you be able to assess someone by just looking at them and say, okay, well, this person has autism because that's not the way autism is. So someone with autism might have difficulty talking um, they can e- either be completely verbal or completely nonverbal and anywhere in between. You know, they may use a communication device. They may not communicate at all. They may communicate very well. A person with autism will have sensory sensitivities. And by that, I mean sensitivity to light, sensitivity to sound, touch, taste, they may have uncomfortable feelings about those sensations and the uncomfortable feelings will manifest themselves in behaviors. So you will see uncomfortable behaviors with sound such as covering your ears if it's too loud or wearing sunglasses at an unexpected time. Those are some of the characteristics that you see with autism. They may have unexpected conversations. So, you know, when we meet someone, we go up and we greet them. They may have difficulty noticing the subtle needs of a conversation, such as greeting someone, talking at a comfortable level, ending conversation at an appropriate time, 
facing your conversational partner. So all of these social cues that we often just kind of take for granted, they may have difficulty with and may be perceived as rude or unfriendly. So Tammy, could you tell us your story, please? Kyle, we've had quite a journey with him. He's the light of our world. He's got a great sense of humor. He's wicked smart. <laughs> so he's just, just a wonderfully rounded young man. My husband is a cradle Catholic, and I was raised Lutheran. After Kyle was born, I went through RCIA and totally embraced the Catholic faith along with my husband. But we were sad that with Kyle's sensory issues, he really can't handle loud noises like clapping and high-pitched women's voices. So we were afraid that church would not be in our future for him and really sad that he would not be able to celebrate the sacraments. We felt like we had two choices in our family. We could either stay home and not go to church, or we could go to church and try to do the best we could. And so we would go and we would stand in the back of Mass, and Kyle would sometimes fidget or sometimes pace a little bit and try not to be stared at and do the best that we could and not interfere with other people's quiet worship. All right, let's turn to Nick and Amy. Tell us about your family. We have three children, and our two boys are both autistic. We've been bringing them to Mass since they were itty-bitty babies, and we try to make it a point to make sure that we are keeping them engaged and like keeping them in the sanctuary. We don't like to overutilize cry rooms. They throw fits sometimes. They, if a certain thing isn't just so, then our oldest son with autism, you know, he can get really vocal about that. He really wants to have something to put in the collection basket when it comes along. But it, So if we forget the envelope one weekend, I mean, that's a really big deal. And we're going to hear about that, and, and all the families around us are going to hear about that too. And so, you know, we, we just try to be mindful of the triggering things. But it's hard when you're trying to keep three children quiet in the pew and entertained and focused, and you're also trying to focus on the mass, sometimes remembering the triggers falls through the cracks. For a, a mass to go smoothly is a huge triumph for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do people react around you, and how has that affected your desire to attend mass? We've had people around us say things like, you know, for some families, it would be better for them to just stay home. Or don't they know that there's a cry room? Right. Or, wow, it's a real circus in here. They're saying these things. Right. Under their breath so we can hear. <laughs> and your heart just sinks and you just don't ever want to go to Mass ever again. So Nick and Amy, let's get back to that comment, don't they know there's a cry room? I mean, I could certainly see people thinking in their heads, okay, I'm glad they're trying to take their kids to church, but if they're being disruptive and we're trying to pray, they should be bringing their kids to the cry room. What's your response to that? How do we help people understand? Yeah, um, for us, the cry room just makes things worse. It also depends on the cry room. Where we go to Mass more often now, it's not really a cry room so much as like the foyer of the church with, with a bunch of chairs in it. And so if I bring my sons back there, once they go through those big doors and they're in the foyer slash cry room, I mean, they're not in church anymore as far as they're concerned. So they want to run around and they want to play and they want to climb on things and they want to yell. And it's just an out of control moment at that point. 
Yeah, they're not learning anything about behaving in church. Yeah, we're, tr- we're trying to teach them what it's like to be in Mass and to celebrate with everyone else. And we just can't teach them that if we're constantly going back to the cry room. There is a point at which we don't let them be so disruptive that yeah. it's unbearable. Yeah. Like, it's not like we never utilize the cry room. It's just we reserve the cry room for when it's absolutely necessary and nothing else is working. Yeah, but, you know, that takes understanding from the people around us. Okay, Carolyn, can you tell us your story, please? Well, my son is 15, and unfortunately, I know families, they've stopped bringing their child with autism or another disability because the families know what's expected and they don't want to interrupt the mass. So they would stop bringing their child rather than just sit outside the whole time. But for my son, he had something called proprioceptive disorder. So he always wanting physical input. If you're sitting in a car for hours and you want to get out, you just feel like you got to stretch your legs. Well, he feels like that all over his body a lot. So he always wants to be moving, fidgeting. And so that's a real struggle for him in mass to stay still. A lot of times people look at you strange. We always find a seat at the back so as few people can see us as possible. And, you know, if he starts making noise, which is sometimes a problem, then we step out. It's hard, but I realize a lot of people just don't know what they don't know. One time, somebody in front of us said something that upset him a lot, and he could not get it out of his head, and he started screaming. So, of course, we took him out, but, you know, it's either what terrible things are you doing to your child or what terrible parents you are. So that experience has happened a few times to us. I think it's best for other people not to look. If you do eventually come back into Mass or you see him some other time later, just be friendly, not like you're bad people. So let's just ask everybody, what are some ways that the regular average person in the pew can be more welcoming to families who have children? Frankly, whether they have autism or not, if a child is, appears disruptive, the odds are that the parents are probably not horrible, negligent parents. They're probably very aware, and there's probably something going on. It might be sensory issues, it might be a level of autism, it might be something else. But how can we be more welcoming as the regular person in the pew, regardless of what our parish is doing? Right. So education, education, education. I feel like education builds compassion. And so when we learn what the needs of children are and children with disabilities, we're able to understand why they do what they're doing and we're able to give them the space they need. For example, my children are typical children, but I remember bringing small children into mass. And if I had an aisle seat, that was like awesome (laughs) because I knew that if my two-year-old wasn't going to be able to sit still, I could quietly walk out and still participate or still, you know, feel like I could come in and at least try to participate in the mass. You know, the same goes for a person with autism. Parents want to be able to participate in mass. They want to bring their child to mass and at least give it a try. And so I think if we give them extra space to be able to move around, and if they feel like they need to lie down in the pew, that should be okay. If they feel like they need to stand in the back, that should be okay. And if they need to wear sunglasses or headphones to reduce the lighting and the sound, we shouldn't judge how a parent is going to parent these child. One of the things that I've seen is that parents of children and adults with disabilities 
are overly sensitive to being judged and embarrassed. They hear it louder than their neighbor does. And so it's very important that we acknowledge that they're trying to accommodate the challenges of a quiet mass, the challenges of being still, the challenges of participating in a way that is not disruptive to others. So, you know, just giving people their space, giving them privacy in a very public place, you know, not staring not snickering, not pointing, not, you know, doing all of these things when we suspect that a child should be behaving in a certain way without understanding or knowing why they're not behaving a certain way. So Tammy, do you have any advice for the regular person in the pew on how they might be more helpful to families like yours? I guess in church, I would ask people just to be kind and try not to be judgmental. You don't know what's going on. And he told us that he just wants people to treat him age appropriately. So if he was a teenager, to just say, hey, Kyle, how are you? A lot of people tend to, you know, they use the voice like, oh, how are you? Assume intelligence with our kids. Our kids are so smart. They can't talk or maybe they echo, but they're so smart and they want to be treated just like you and me. Kyle told us it's important to spend more time with Jesus. He's so spiritual. He wants a spiritual community. We wanted to get him involved in the church so that he'd be more more comfortable and start to meet people. So my husband and Kyle decided to start ushering, which really helped integrate Kyle into the mass and into the community. Every week at noon, the parishioners would they would know that it was Kyle and It was just a really warm, welcoming ministry for him to participate in. And he got to know the other ushers. They would usher him and kind of take him away from Scott, my husband, and they would take him and mentor him. So that was a beautiful activity for us. Ushering. I love that. I love that your husband and Kaya were able to share that ministry together, ushering. So how old was Kaya when he was able to do that? Kyle ushered at a from about ages maybe 11 to 14 or 15. So what was Kyle able to do? Was he passing the collection basket, showing people to their seats? The collection basket. I would imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Oh, they had their set spot. My husband and my son had a had their assignment. All right, well, that's okay. That's great. How, I mean, I would, I would think you would probably encounter some resistance with having a child on the autism spectrum be an usher. Was that difficult to make that happen? Or is it just that parish community was particularly open to that? How would you advise another family convince a parish that, hey, this person can usher, for example? Yeah, we had a really warm, welcoming lead usher who took Kyle under his wing. I don't know if every parish would have that. But Scott, my husband, just simply asked and they let him do it. Kyle, of course, was able to do it. He's short. He's very calm. Right. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm sure it depends. I mean, I mean, different children will have different abilities. Right. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't want him to do it if he couldn't do it. So it's a matter of if you're at a parish and you were in charge of a ministry, be open to the fact there might be someone who you might think, perhaps you might assume can't do this ministry, but if you give them a try or give her a try, you might find out that they can. 
So it's a matter of both parents being willing to explore that with their child, as well as parish communities and people in charge of ministries at parishes being willing to invite, see what people might be able to do who might have various kinds of disabilities. They might be able to do more than we think. Exactly. People who would sit near us in mass before they got to know us told us later they were intimidated. Kyle's just a little fidgety. He wasn't aggressive or anything, but they were kind of afraid of him like during the sharing of the peace. Sure. And they got to know him and see him with his dad ushering and he became more ingrained in the community. They would tell us later like, oh my gosh, he's a fine young man and I'm, I'm sorry that I was ever afraid to approach him. So Nick and Amy, hopefully we're helping people to understand that immediately going to the cry room at the first sense of disturbance is not the most helpful thing for trying to teach them how to be quiet. How can someone who is around a family with children who are difficult, what is the best way to respond or be helpful? I think it's just to be affirming. We've already kind of talked about people who say judgmental things. Sometimes we've also experienced people on the other side of the spectrum where they try to overhelp. Mm-hmm. They try to like give one of our children candy. Well, now one of them has it and the other one don't. And it might not be something that they are able to eat. Don't ever they, give. <laughs> or they try to give them toys, you know, or they, or they try to pick them up or talk to them directly. Like our oldest son who's autistic, if you try to look him in the eye and have a conversation and he doesn't know you, he's going to reject that. The sweet spot is to just to be affirming and welcoming. During the sign of peace, just to say an encouraging word, you guys are doing a great job. Keep up the good work. Or after Mass, just to thank us for bringing our children. Or or, we're so glad you're here. Mm -hmm. Don't you worry about those kids, you know, like that usher said. Yeah. That is really the best way that anyone can help us. And, And just to be understanding. You know, a lot of times it's a really big struggle just to get to Mass. And so by the time we're there, sometimes we're pretty exhausted. So I might not turn around and address every disturbance because at that point I'm just done. Well, I'm sure from the outside that looks like I'm a parent that doesn't care that my children are being disrupted because I'm not addressing like every disruptive thing they do. So it just takes some understanding to realize you don't always know what's going on in the life of that family. And I think the general message here is don't judge. Assume that you don't have all the information. And I think that applies even to people who don't have kids with autism. There's sensory processing disorder. There's all sorts of non-autistic behavioral (laughs) difficulties that make church very challenging. And so the key there is just to assume the best of people. Yeah. I think if you just notice unusual behaviors, just smile at the parents. And then after mass or during the sign of peace, be friendly like you would be to anyone and say, you know, goodbye. I hope you have a good day and just be a friendly person. I I think that's the best help. In many ways, the primary message here is related to the regular person in the pew being less judgmental and more welcoming and assuming the best in parents who bring children who appear to be more disruptive than you might think is acceptable at the age you're looking at. But are there things that parishes should be doing, that leadership should be doing concerning the mass environment? Like there are some churches that are able to do a sensory-friendly mass. Obviously, no one would ever suggest that every mass that any church ever does needs to be strongly sensory-friendly. 
but maybe a situation where if you have a parish that offers many masses, one of them could be sensory friendly. Or maybe even periodically you have one of those masses at least is sensory friendly. What might that mean that a mass is sensory friendly? A sensory friendly mass would look a little bit different in that the lighting might be softer, the music might be a little quieter, there may be allowances for people who need to pace or move around to be free to do that perhaps at the back of the Mass, and still be able to listen to and participate in the Mass. There might be allowances just even for movement, fidgeting, rocking, being able to hold a fidget. And some churches are better equipped just by the structure of the church to allow for sensory-friendly Masses, such as natural lighting. Those are all ways that the Mass can be more sensory-friendly. Okay, so Tammy, you already told me that you've had a sensory-friendly mass at your parish. So tell us what that's like. We would set up audio-visual equipment in the big conference room, separate from the worship space, and live simulcast the mass into the conference room. And so any families who felt like their loved one needed to pace in the back of the room or fidget, whatever that needed to be, they could be in that room, again, worshiping in community, but still being able to follow the Mass. That's one thing we hear from our kids a lot is, I may not be speaking to you, I may not be making eye contact, but I'm always listening. So they're taking in the Mass, they're taking in the prayers, the liturgy, the homily. You know, Kyle may not have looked like in that room if he was fidgeting or walking around that he was paying attention, but he would come home and he would know the message from the homily. That very first day that we had the sensory-friendly Mass, there were a lot of tears in the room, happy tears. We were looking around and thinking, oh my gosh, we can finally worship without stares or glares where we could relax a little bit and take a breath and hear the word of God and not be worrying about a sensory trigger in the moment. We did feel a little segregated, but we were able to come to church again. It was either stay home or worship in community, and we chose worship in community. So Nick and Amy... Do you think there are things that a parish might do as a whole to make a mass experience easier for those parishioners who have children who might be on the spectrum? Some parishes kick around the idea of designating one of their masses as a sensory-friendly mass. And I don't know if that's an option for every parish or not, but I can imagine what a mass like that would be like. You would probably turn down the volume a little bit, you know, make sure the organ isn't blasting. You would kind of set the stage for we're here and we understand that there's going to be disruption. Parents may need to walk with their children, you know, in the back of the mass, maybe allowing a little bit more freedom of movement. Mm -hmm. I know that their attention spans are already so short, so maybe the priest for that Mass could be more mindful of his homily and just try to make it shorter, just get to the point, lay it out logically so it's just boom, 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 and then we're done. And then, you know, a Mass like that would just be a place of understanding and welcoming. That'd be a pretty great thing, actually. (laughs) Now, I imagine if, if a parish is even thinking about that, well, let's take one of our existing masses and let's try to make it more sensory friendly. Let's reduce the music, let's lower the lights. The default assumption might be let's do that with our least attended mass. Let's do that with our earliest mm-hmm. mass. But I suspect that your response to that would be, well, if it's the 7 a.m. mass, <laughs> even if it's the 8 a.m. mass, that's just not going to be helpful because no. I cannot get my autistic children up early enough and get out the door and get to a mass right. that is that early. 
That can be a challenge because the later in the day you get, the more tired the children are going to be or the more overstimulated they're going to be. You want to get them at that sweet spot like mid-morning when they've, they've got a full belly, they haven't been overstimulated, and they're fresh and they're, they're ready to absorb what's going on. The later the mass is, the more difficult it's going to be for that child to focus because they've been on for like the yeah. whole morning. So Carolyn, what would you like to see that you would say a parish could do to make mass more friendly? Well, I am on the middle on that one. I can see families wanting to participate more fully and be in the mass, and I can see others being more comfortable and participating in a separate room as well. To me, I think it should be a family's choice as to which they would want to try to do, and I think both have, have great possibilities. But it would help if parishes would have resources for the parishioners to understand people with different kinds of disabilities. So if information is provided and parishioners take the time to learn about that, I think that would be a really big help. So we said a little bit about religious education, but what should a First Communion preparation leader or a confirmation prep leader, or what might it look like for them to be more responsive to the needs of someone with autism who wants to receive their sacraments. Right. I have spoken with various families who have special needs children going through sacramental preparation. And it can be a challenging time because PSR teachers may or may not have experience with children with disabilities. And so they don't know the capability or what that child is able to understand. Developing a trust with the parents communication is paramount to successful sacramental prep for these families. You know, these families are vested in having their child receive the sacraments. And so participation from the families, I know they would be open to having a partner, a peer helper, or an adult helper participate in the class to be able to just help the child or the student participate easier with minimal distraction to their fellow students. Okay, so Nick and Amy, do we want to talk a little bit about religious education? Your oldest is only eight years old. He is currently preparing for his first communion. He just received his first reconciliation. That was a bit of a challenge. Our religious education program has been very accommodating. His teacher has been really understanding, and he's been doing really well. When we talk about autism spectrum disorder, they call it a spectrum. And so you imagine a linear line where you're either less autistic, and then the further down the line you get, the more autistic you get. But that's not exactly how autism works. It's more like a wheel on which your skills are at different points. Right. So no two autistic children are going to be exactly the same. And you can't generalize about like how autistic people behave because they all have different skill sets. So Dominic, he's, he's verbal. He's very intelligent. He has a good vocabulary. He does have difficulty understanding things spoken to him. Like directions. Directions. He and, doesn't, he and... doesn't understand directions. You have to speak very simply. Sometimes he doesn't answer questions. So when it came to preparing him for his first reconciliation, it was a bit of a challenge getting him to understand like the purpose of reconciliation 
and explaining to him what's about to happen isn't nearly as effective as actually walking him through the steps. So I was really super grateful when he was allowed during the retreat to actually practice sitting in his pew and then going into the confessional and knowing exactly where to go. Preparing him ahead of time was super helpful for when it actually came to the day and he knew what to expect because he doesn't do well with uncertainty. So that was super helpful. But then there's always going to be that wild card where you never know how exactly he's going to behave until you get to the day. And when we got to the first reconciliation, he was okay for about two seconds. (laughs) And then I was sitting in a pew one like aisle over and he starts shouting for me across the church because he doesn't know where I am. And so in that moment, you have to shift your plans a little bit. And everybody was super understanding and I was able to go over and sit with him. And then when it came time for him to go into the confessional, I was allowed to go in with him and speak to the priest and prepare him, like tell him, this is Dominic, he's autistic and he's very nervous. And the priest was super understanding. He was, he was awesome. And I was able to stand in there with Dominic until he was comfortable enough for me to leave. And I told him I would stand right outside the door. So the fact that I was allowed to do that and that everybody understood why I needed to do that was the most helpful thing for getting him that sacrament. I think just the understanding that he's not like the other kids and he needs a little bit more support made a big difference in how him receiving that sacrament went. So Amy, you were talking a little bit about specifically about the, the, the practicing that in, in, in advance for, for reconciliation, some specific accommodations concerning the day, right? But there are, were, are there other things that we need to think about in terms of the preparation classes or that sort of thing, right? That is that educators should be prepared to do if they have a family who has an autistic child or, or, or different kind of issue they need to deal with. I definitely think that religious education programs need to be educated on the needs of children who are autistic and frankly, anyone who has a developmental or learning disability. And I've been seeing more that there are programs now specifically geared towards children who are on the autism spectrum. This is the confirmation version of the adaptive confirmation preparation kit. I've looked at that and reviewed it and and I was really impressed by it. So that's an easy way to accommodate children. The experiential aspect of learning and preparing for sacrament where they get to see and do and touch One thing I would do to prepare the kids for First Communion is we would take a tour of the sanctuary and of the sacristy, and they would get a chance to touch and to hold and to see the different vessels that we use in the Mass. And for First Reconciliation, I would take them all inside the confessional so they can see what the lay of the land is in there, how they can kneel behind the screen, or they can sit across from the priest. And so that type of like full sensory learning, I think that's huge for all kids, but it's especially helpful for children who are on the autism spectrum. Absolutely. And to piggyback off of that, we also have our other two children because our parish does catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So my three-year-old, my other autistic child, is experiencing catechesis of the Good Shepherd right now. And that's been an interesting experience because it's very sensory. There's a lot of like sensory input, which he craves. 
So yeah. he's enjoying a lot of the little activities that they do. And he's learning how to behave in the, in the, what they call the atrium. And that's been overall a really positive experience for him. And I think Dominic, our oldest, if he had started out with Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, I think he would have really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it gives them an opportunity to see vestments, to touch, you know, the cruets, to do these pouring exercises with the water and the wine, to practice mass, and, yeah. where they go through all the prayers. It's very, like, heavily liturgical and really gets them right up close and personal with the words that are said during mass, the gestures, the the, the smells and bells, as they say. And That's been great. It's been great. Like, I've seen a major change in my youngest who... You know, he's, he's a crazy, he's three and all three-year-olds are crazy. I mean, let's be honest. All three-year-olds bounce off the walls and they run and they, they need to, to move. And it was a bit of a struggle at first getting him used to being in a space where he couldn't just run around and throw things and pick up a toy and run around with it. But as we've taken him more and more, he knows what to do now. He knows how to behave in the atrium. He knows when he takes a tray out of the, out of the shelf, he carefully carries it to his table and he sits down and plays with it. And then when he's done, he picks it up and he puts it back. And that's something that he never would have been able to do before we started Atrium. So I really think that Catechesis of the Good Shepherd has been a huge, has made a huge impact on our experience with the religious education for sure. And I think, I mean, it obviously depends on the autistic child because it is a very controlled environment, but for our autistic children, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd has been an extremely positive experience. So Nick and Amy, you mentioned Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. That is a Montessori-based method of Catholic religious education, particularly for for younger children. Let's say you're at a parish where they are in the typical classroom. What are some ways that they can at least be more accommodating to kids that have more sensory issues? One thing that we've done with Dominic is we asked for a classroom helper, and, and that could be like a volunteer adult or, or maybe an older, like responsible teenager who can be there as a help specifically for Dominic. So he has someone who can be with him one-on-one and help him understand the directions for an activity that they're doing or answer his question, which I think is really needed and helpful for him. Carolyn, what is your experience with bringing your child for a sacramental prep? We waited until we felt he was a little bit older. So when we thought he was ready, we approached the religious education director and said, our child, you're just not going to be able to handle him in a regular class. So we asked if we could homeschool him using a good curriculum, then have him come in and talk to you and the pastor and figure out if he's well prepared enough. They were very accommodating and agreed with that. I actually found a curriculum from a leading Catholic magazine that covered all the basic facts. People with autism are very literal. A lot of symbolic stories are very lost on them. So it was a very good, concise preparation. And the religious people were very pleased with that. And they also gave us videos. He learns very well with videos, like many people with autism. And that really helped a lot of the lessons sink in, the videos they provided. So he met with the pastor and he just wanted to make sure that he understood the basic ideas of what was going on. And then he was able to receive the sacraments. 
So we really liked having that option of doing the homeschooling with the parish's guidance. I was reminded of something, of an image. I know that I'm not the only person in the universe who, when I attend Mass, there are times when I'm trying to pray and my mind is somewhere else and I'm struggling trying to pay attention to what I'm trying to pay attention to. And you can't tell looking at me, but inside my head, I am not as focused as I would like to be, right? And someone who has sensory issue with the exact same thing going on, but their distractions are visible in their bodies. They want to pay attention to what's going on, and they are listening to what's going on, but their body doesn't look like that's what they're doing, and they don't have a great amount of control over their body. Is that a fair image to make to try to help those of us who don't have these issues understand what's going on in the head of someone with autism? Absolutely. Children and people with autism can have uncomfortable feelings like you and I. We can have a backache or a shoulder ache. We can be wearing an uncomfortable tie to mask. We can mask those feelings. We can distract ourselves from those thoughts. People with autism are challenged by them in such a severe way sometimes that prohibits them, that limits them from being able to hide how they feel. They feel more strongly. They feel these uncomfortable thoughts in ways that you and I cannot perceive. So if they don't hide them, then they're feeling them more than you and I understand. Let's show everyone some resources that are available for people. First of all, there is a document out by the USCCB, Guidelines for the Celebration of the Sacraments with Persons with Disabilities, Revised Edition 2017. Just Google Disabilities USCCB document. You can order that or you can just download it directly from the web. I also should not fail to mention the National Catholic Partnership on Disability, the NCPD. That is a Catholic organization, of course, that has lots of resources for catechists and parishes who want to help their families with children who have disabilities on that website, among other things. You can find many resources where I can't possibly go through. Among them, I know Loyola Press in particular has come out with adaptive reconciliation kits, an adaptive first Eucharist preparation kit, and an adaptive confirmation preparation kit. These are kits for individuals with autism and other special needs. So if you are a DRE or for a parish and you want to be prepared for a family who has a child with autism, you should definitely get these kits from Loyola Press. And they have some other resources like that available as well. Another great idea is the VLCFF, the Virtual Learning Community for Faith Formation at the University of Dayton. Those are online courses that you can take in Disabilities and Parish Life Overview. And that is a prerequisite for the autism and faith formation course you have here. But there are six different courses available. Adults with special needs, deaf faith formation, disabilities across a lifespan, disabilities in parish life, creative methodologies, ADHD, and autism in faith formation. These are all online courses that you can take that we would recommend for DREs and other catechists. Also, the University of Dayton Institute for Pastoral Initiatives. If you just Google the University of Dayton, pastoral initiatives. You will get that website. And from there, find this whole list of online Catholic resources or a whole listing of sacramental preparation books that can be helpful for people who are involved in religious education, who want to be prepared, because there are some ways that we can be accommodating for families who have children with disabilities and, of course, still deserve and need preparation for the sacrament. And we need to be ready for that. 
Finally, I found another resource through the Diocese of Newark, Google Catechetical Resources for Children and Youth with Disability. There's a little bibliography with Catholic curriculum resources very close to the top are those adaptive kits that I mentioned from Loyola Press. They also mention, of course, other publishers like Sunday Visitor, RCL, Benzinger, Labosh, etc. And they mention a whole list of resources that you can order for autism and other disabilities. Thank you for talking with us about your experiences with autism, with children on the spectrum. The big thing we hope that we get out of this is that people gain a better understanding of the issues that some families have so that when they bring their children to church, they can expect to feel welcome. They can expect people to say, I'm really glad that you're trying to raise your kids in the faith. And I hope that you understand that I am glad you're trying and I know that you're doing your best. Thanks, Bob, for inviting me to come and speak today. I'm pleased and honored to be able to share some of my experiences about autism and people with disabilities. Thanks for having me, Bob. Have a great day, everyone. Okay, no problem. Glad to do it. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it, and we're glad to help. Yeah, thank you very much for having me attend today, and I really appreciate being able to talk to you about this. Thank you for sharing your time with us on this Being Pro-Life series.